Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. It's the start of July. I'm officially calling it the beginning of our preseason coverage, preseason content. I guess, you know, that's what the whole offseason is. But, uh, you know, we, we've been here and there spotty, but it's time. Football's coming. ACC media days are coming. All of those sorts of things are here. And so, you know, we'll lead it in. We'll kick off our, our essential 2023 preview run up to the season starting uh, and Shout out to you, Ben. Actually, I guess I should introduce everyone. Brian Peller in here, John Marchant, Ben Meyerson. I asked beforehand to make sure I got it right, and I still kind of butchered it, but that's okay. Uh, but Ben put together an article, and he's got another one coming up soon. And so if you've already read it, great. That's a that's a bonus. You'll get a little extra deeper dives into it. Uh, and if you haven't, great. Uh, this will serve as the uh, reading of that article, but in audiobook form, basically. Uh, you know, winning in the red zone can take FSU's offense to the next level in 2023 is the headline. Basically, we're going to take a look at the FSU offense, what worked, what didn't work in 2022, and and kind of look at what needs to be done, what that means for 2023. And uh, if the pre-show conversation is any indicator, I couldn't get the two of you to shut up. <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys are just rambling on and on. I mean, it's good. It wasn't really rambling. It was good points, but I was like, save it for the show. The people need to hear it. So hopefully you guys, <laughs> you guys will save some of it and have a lot to chat about. And I, I know you've all got some points. Uh, and plus we've been doing a lot of 2023 or 10 years later, I guess, 2013, 10 years later content from that championship team. So I'm also going to put them on the spot and I'll, I'll give you guys a little a sneak preview of what it is. I mentioned it to them just before, so they don't have a huge, Heads up either, but I'm going to ask the five rushing leaders from that team, uh, according to sportsreference.com. So if you want to play at home, start jotting down names, figure out who you think might be the top five, and I'll uh, uh, we'll, we'll put you against these guys coming up. But Ben, you put together the article, man, and I want to go to you first. I, I When I think of last year's team, the the word that comes to mind is explosive on what worked, and, and I think that's probably the easiest place to start this thing. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, we saw it on our TV screens, too. This wasn't just, you know, the online Twitter narrative. Yeah, I think it was ABC uh, in that Florida game had the big graphic, most explosive offense in the country. Play, uh, this amount of plays over 20 yards, which they ended up uh, with 97, which you know led all teams who um, played 13 games. But yeah, I think when you know, FSU fans look back on this past season, the 10 win season, that was a little unexpected coming into the season, right? The, the biggest thing that stands out that's going to stick in my brain about this team was 
Jordan Travis, of course, and how much this team pushed the ball downfield. Uh, you, you know, when they won, when they were playing well, when they were rolling, I mean, this offense was getting chunk play after chunk play after chunk play, you know, on the ground, in the air, um, whether it was Jordan Travis doing it, Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson. I, I think, you know, just those three collection of players are players who are going to create a lot of explosive plays uh, on their own. And then when you put those three together, uh, you get what happened last year. So, uh, you know, really, I, you know, with the article for anyone who read it, um, we know how how great this offense was, but I just wanted to take a closer look at, you know, what was the difference between this being a really great offense and it leading to them potentially winning, you know, an ACC championship this upcoming year, even maybe snagging one of those college football playoff spots. Um, So yeah, you know, this, this was a really great offense last year, but that doesn't mean they they couldn't have improved and and been better. Um, And we'll get into that today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can touch on on what where even as great as they were, there were a lot of things that we've talked about over the course of it where they have spots to improve. But focusing on what went right, I mean, they did go they they jumped like seven points per game, uh, 28 and a half to 35.2. John, I'm sure a lot of that explosiveness and um I guess that's really it. The explosiveness, the big playability really came from the leap Jordan Travis made. What did you see? I guess in terms of what worked on, on his leap and how important that was to the explosiveness of this offense. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked before with, with a previous guest about, you know, some of the weaknesses that Jordan Travis has, but one of the strengths he has is he got a lot better at, at processing and a bit a little faster, right. You know, and, and, and things like that. And, Norville's offense above anything else, right? He's going to have ISOs, whether it's a run game or the pass game, he's going to set you up if you're a playmaker uh, and he likes to recruit playmakers in one-on-one situations. So, you know, uh, uh, the big obvious one, right? The elephant in the room almost literally is Johnny Wilson. So he's very, very easy, you know, posts and, and go routes and, and digs and other things like that. He put Wilson in one-on-one situations and, and you just, Travis throws the ball up, right? It's, Big, big advantage in college to have a, a catch radius as wide as Johnny Wilson's, um, you know, and again, pointing to what Ben and I were talking about before we started recording, you know, Micah Pittman, great, great receiver, uh, arguably maybe even FSU's most consistent or best receiver last season. Uh, but he is a little bit smaller target, right? Going back two years ago, Ja'Kai Douglas, they, they ran a lot of those slot feeds with him. They use their players in a lot of creative ways to get the one-on-one matchups to get them open, give, give these players a chance. Uh, but you know, we had some issues with the receiver talent, some smaller targets, a little bit more difficult on Jordan Travis. So last season, you know, you get bigger, you know, the, the progression of Kentron Poitier, uh, Johnny Wilson, right. Michael Pittman comes in is very, very solid and reliable. I think that helped Travis a lot. Right. I think also the development of the offensive line, right. Getting a little bit more talent, especially through the transfer portal. I think Travis, especially we saw him from two years ago, really start to trust the guys in front of him, right. Trust. And I think even in interviews that we heard from him, Right. He talked a little bit about how he knew because he had, he had heard the criticism. You know, this guy, he's smaller. He doesn't stand in and take the hit and deliver the throw. We really saw that from him last year. Right. You know, especially with the LSU game right off the bat. He takes that one hit right to the face. Uh, I think the player was disqualified for targeting, but he delivers, you know, a great throw. It's a touchdown or, or whatever it was. So um, he really took that to heart. He does improve. This kid cares. And I, I think he just wants to get better. Uh, and again, we we talked before in past episodes the monumental leap he made, uh, you know, in last season, and and I you know again the talent around him helped, right? You could argue that he had improved somewhat in the season beforehand. He just didn't have enough help around him to like let that show, but he he did do that last year. Yeah, and I think it was just you know a really good litmus test of where Jordan Travis was as a player. You know, as you're talking through all that, John, because. It, it, Looking at Jordan Travis in 2021, you you saw some of the things you saw in 2022. It's not like, you know, he became this um, sensational playmaker overnight. He always had the the playmaker ability, uh, you know, the the play we saw against Florida. It's not like that wasn't in Jordan Travis. It's it's more so that, you know, like you mentioned, he got more confidence in the the team around him, um, the coaching, which, you know, another year in that system just makes you much, much more confident in what you can do and what your limitations are. And, and then, of course, that receiving talent improving around him, um, it, it just unlocked this offense in a way that, you know, 
I think even the most bullish Jordan Travis uh, supporters would, you know, our expectations were blown out of the water. Um, so, you know, I, I think kind of to transition that to 2023, um, it, it's really now about some of those situational circumstantial um, blunders that we saw, right? Whether um, that was, you know, of course, some of that being due to their field goal kicker just just being terrible last season. Uh, It's that was something incredibly hard to overcome. And we'll certainly get into this, um, John, but I I know we talked before the show about the fact that, you know, because their kicking situation was such a problem, they had to change the way they approached their offense in the red zone and, and and how they converted those opportunities. So, um, you know, we'll certainly get into all that, but I, I think it's really interesting to look at that 2021 to 2022 and, and see that massive leap. And then of course, you know, Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, uh, the, the passing um, offense is just going to be more and more talented this season. So um, yeah, I think personally, I'm just really excited to see what this offense looks like because I, I think now the talent as such is at such a level, especially at the tight end position where um, Mike Norvell can do anything he wants in terms of his personnel groupings, who he's putting on the field. He's not as limited, even as he was last season where, you know, we, we even saw the major talent improvements. So I feel like 2023 is going to be, you know, what does Mike Norvell's ultimate offense look like with all this talent collected around Jordan Travis? Yeah, assembling. Uh, I'm not a Star Wars guy, so I was going to say like the Death Star. I hope that fits for those Star Wars folks listening. But the, the one thing that, too, on top of Jordan, we talked about this offense's ability to be explosive, and a lot of it was the passing plays. Kind of, we talked about you talking about adding more weapons that adds to it, right? Having a Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell, like you said, we'll get to that in a second. But um, you were 13th in the country in, in plays over 20 yards passing. You 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 dropped 60 of them. Um, but somehow even more impressive, you were third in, in rushing big plays, coming with 37 of those. Uh, I mean, Ben, you looked into that. Uh, I, I don't know. The, the one thing that comes to mind immediately is the, what they did to Miami every time I think about this rushing attack where it just felt like they ran counter 95 times in a row and it worked, but it worked. Yeah, no, it, it did work. Um, and, and I think, you know, when, when I, when I like to like look at offenses and try and understand more about them, one of the biggest things I look at is, okay, what's the easy button for this team? What's the thing they can do over and over and over and constantly attack teams with. And for FSU, it was that counter run game and no game, you know, showed that off more than the Miami game where it seems like FSU, I mean, maybe 60, 70, it, close to 80% counter runs and they were dominant. Miami knew it was coming every single time. They knew exactly what FSU was doing. They couldn't do anything to stop it. Now, of course, you know, Norvell dressed that up in some ways. He did different things formationally to try and throw Miami off their rhythm, but Miami knew what FSU was trying to do it was obvious and they couldn't do anything to stop it. So, um, you know, this, this team, of course, the explosive plays, like you said, like you mentioned the rushing efficiency where they're getting so many of those pop 20 plus yard runs, that's going to help out a ton. But when you can grind out seven, eight, nine yards consistently, it it, it just felt like in those games where it was working for the run game for, for FSU, they were in third and short or wouldn't even reach third down in many of those situations. So, you know, when your running attack is so efficient, when your easy button, the thing that you can go back to over and over is so successful, it's just going to make the rest of the offense so much easier. Um, So I, I feel like that, you know, for Mike Norvell, at least he wants to dominate through the run. That's how he wants to win. And when they're able to win that way, it just, unlocks the rest of the offense in a way that, you know, you, you become the most explosive offense in the country. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with you. I, th- I think you hit on some good stuff there. So uh, like we talked about before we started recording again, um, you know, uh, I, the shout out goes to one, right. Uh, you know, I know he's, he's still part of Topic nation. He used to be part of the podcast. We miss him. Um, but he had pointed out to me on Twitter that, that, you know, Norvell's, uh, efficient plays tend to be explosive, right? It's not just, you know, you could say oh, a run is efficient or a pass is efficient if it gets eight yards or something like that, right? You, 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 you know, anything that, that keeps you in front of standard downs, right? So go back to X and O's a little bit, you know, standard downs, anything, um, 
uh, that keeps you ahead of this head of the sticks, right? So every four yards, right. You're staying ahead of the sticks, right? Uh, it'd be second and six, you know, third and one, right. You keep it short, easy to manage that type of thing. Uh, so you, you could call that efficient, but Norvell's efficient plays were also explosive. So they, you know, this offensive line, looking at some stats, you know, they weren't great in the uh, stuff rate, right. They got stuffed quite a bit, but whenever they did break free and they got a uh, running back, you know, three yards, four yards past the line of scrimmage, it wasn't, just runs like that. It was that kid's going for 20 yards, right. Or 25 or 18 or something like that. So, uh, and again, to your point too, and then they use the counter, right. It's, it's crazy too. Cause Norvell's offenses at Memphis were much more multiple, right. Going back and looking at his, his big time showdowns with UCF there. Uh, they were more multiple and he, he did lean on, on the talent that he had, whether it's Darrell Henderson or a quarterback, uh, based offense, uh, but but he found different ways to be explosive. And and even then his run game was more multiple than it was at FSU. I think it was kind of smart walking into the situation. He did FSU, a lot of depleted talent, especially across the offensive line. I think they decided to specialize in something. I think counter was what they specialized in. And it really worked. And it, it was it was very simple, but brilliant, right? Because it also allowed you to use counter as a protection in the run game, right? Even their flea flicker against LSU in the very first game of the season, I believe they used counter as, as uh, the run blocking scheme. So they did that throughout the entire season. I don't expect anything like that to change, right? Uh, but it is very rare that you see someone run counter as often as FSU did against Miami. It's embarrassing, honestly, for the Hurricanes program to have, have a team do that so many times against you and still be so explosive and consistent and efficient like that. Uh, they, they were definitely, um, uh, it's just embarrassing. I don't know how else to say it. It's embarrassing for them, but uh, <laughs> for a Florida state fan, very, very fun to see. Uh, but that, but that's what Norvell does, right? He, like you said, to Ben's point, he knows what works. He knows what's explosive. He will move guys, whether it's a guard tackle or a guard and H back or a tight end and a tackle. He will always, I mean, it goes back to whenever Norvell first got hired, we were writing articles on top of Ignatian. Uh, about the type of offense he would bring. And this is what he does, right? He moves gaps, right? He he will outflank you. He will uh, screw with the defensive eye discipline. He will test you, right? And then in doing so, he sets up one-on-one opportunity. So it's not just that he, you know, that that's how his efficient plays are so explosive. He's moving things. He knows how to confuse defenses, uh, especially linebackers and 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 players that help with within the run game, like safeties that come down. But then also he gives you a one-on-one opportunity, right? And he tries to, which is what he's trying to do now, recruit the best athletes through the portal, through high school, the, the type of kids that can win those one-on-one matchups. And I think that's what makes, you know, Keon Coleman or Winston Wright or Johnny Wilson, right, in different ways. So interesting and, and, and why we're so excited for the upcoming season because this is what he does. And he finally has the players to do that, right? It's very frustrating. I'm not, not taking anything with Cam McDonald. He was a good player. But it's very frustrating when, when Jordan Travis drops a dime down the seam and, and Cam McDonald drops it, right? Now on third down, that would keep the drive moving where you put points on the board. Uh, you got to have those plays. So he comes, he goes out and he gets Jane Bell and all these other guys, you know, to try to do those kinds of things. I think Keon Coleman is a big player. What is he, 6'3", six, 6'4"? So yes, that, but sure. yeah. in his tape that I've seen, he almost kind of in some ways plays smaller than that, right? He can still juke you in a phone book, uh, phone booth. So um, very, very excited about the stuff that Norvell brings. He knows what he likes, I guess is my point here. Uh, he goes and gets different types of receivers so you can use them in different ways. Uh, but it's it's very interesting to see how he uses a player to the best skill set while still keeping his base philosophy of, I'm going to give you a one-on-one. This is for state. You're going to win that one-on-one right and we're going to be explosive we're going to put points on the board and and that type of play works against most of the teams on their schedule is you're going to win a one-on-one you're going uh, quite frankly the florida state running back period should beat the linebacker at wake forest he should beat the safety at georgia tech it's it is to arrogantly say it what florida state should do um and, and to that end, you know, we talk about Norvell, Norvell, and and Ben, in your article, you had a great, uh, oh, Jesus, hyperlink or embedded tweet. I got, geez, I just like web words just <laughs> fell out of my head. But uh, of Atkins talking about, um, you know, the scheme and, and running pistol and running counter through it. And um, if you haven't seen that article yet, this is the, this is the go watch this little video. It's like three minutes of your time and it's worth it. And it just shows how they were so easily able, I don't want to say easily, but you know, how they were able to kind of use the chess pieces to make plays like that, set themselves up in those positions. Um, the the one thing, obviously we talked about this offense worked. 
And, and, and by 90% of metrics, it does and did uh, looking at last season. The one thing that does concern me, um, and I think these two go hand in hand, it's part of what worked and part that needs improvement. And Ben, I'll come to you on this one. What worked was third down efficiency. They were very high in the country in being efficient. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the success of the run game, putting them in successful spots, having third and shorts. Um, but they were also pretty terrible in red zone, which you've mentioned already. Uh, a lot to do with the field goals because you you can't trust you're getting three points. You've got to kind of be more aggressive. The windows are tighter and it's a lot harder to be aggressive. My fear heading into 2023 is um, if that third down, third down efficiency doesn't stay that high, and, and that might not even be an effectiveness of this team. It could just be a general um, situational. Sometimes it's just, you know, it doesn't, you don't get the click rolling and it just, you, you kind of end up behind it. Almost think of baseball where it's just like, yeah, you can hit the ball hard, but sometimes it goes right at somebody or whatever. Just maybe you trip, whatever. Third down becomes that spot where it's kind of, you got to do it right now or don't. What really worked on third down and what's repeatable? I guess, where is the the level of concern on third down carrying over? Well, I, I think the concern would be uh, creating those third and short situations, right? Because that's where they won so much. I mean, I mean, you led in right into kind of where I was going, Brian, where the the reason they were so successful on those third downs, um, and I wasn't able to find the stat, but I'm sure if you looked at their average third down, um, down to distance. And I tried so hard to just find that stat. I was like, it's somewhere on the internet. Someone on the internet did this, right? But I can't find it. If you've got it, thank you so much out there. Please put it somewhere more noticeable on the internet. Yeah, please like at me on Twitter. I've been trying to find that stat for like two months. Um, it, but I But I would promise that, they are up there in terms of teams in those third and those, those, those third down yardage situations in terms of how many yards they have to go. Right. So I, I think for, for them, the concern would be is that you're not able to create those opportunities in that same way that, you know, earlier I talked about the easy button and for them, it being that counter run game and then everything kind of playing through that. Well, teams know that now and not only i mean of course norvell made that a part of the identity over these few years but last year you became the best counter run team in the country the most efficient kind of counter run team in the country and the team that ran it the most so teams aren't stupid they know what you're going to be trying to do next year so i i, I think it in like for next year, what Mike Norvell is going to have to do is figure out, okay, what's the next step of this? What's the next evolution of this? How do we keep continue to play off of this and create those third and easy situations? Um, I will say, I, I think the thing for me that, you know, let's say um, you were kind of mentioning how it, it, you didn't use this word, but I'm going to use it luck on, on, on in getting into those third down situations. That's, yeah, that's really kind of what I was hinting at. Yeah. Luck. Exactly. And Brian, I know you're not a uh, claim not to be an analytics guy, but the, the whole thing with with analytics for so, some of these like third down red zone efficiency stats is is that the volatility of these stats based on luck um, can determine a lot of your outcomes for the season. Right. It's it's not just that you have to be good, but you have to be lucky and you have to be really good. Right. So sometimes things just have to go your way in order for you to be that team. Um, so I think for FSU, the thing I'm encouraged by, even if they aren't as lucky next year, even if they're not in as good as their down situations, they got the type of players and the personnel that I, they, the way Mike Norvell is going tells me is that this was the number one priority for them. This off season is winning in, in the red zone, winning in third and medium in those situations where, yeah, it's really, really difficult. It's third and seven. You're going to have to drop back and get eight yards consistently. Right. So um, I, I think Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, Winston Wright coming back, um, but, but particular Jaheim Bell and Keon Coleman, if if you're able to unlock some of those situational, you know, seven to 12 yard plays where you just need to get it in order to, to, to win in order to continue to drive in order to stop the drive from stalling, that's where they have to win next season. If the luck bounces back the other way. Right. So I, I think for them, it's just about winning those, those, those five yard and out 
situations where it's fourth and five on the goal line or whether it's like third and nine and you're just over the 50 and you really need to convert this to keep the drive going to to keep building that momentum right so i I think what killed fsu a lot of times last year was those drive killers right you mentioned cam mcdonald i don't want to harp on him too much but there were a lot of drive killers last year where they just did not convert third downs that they should have converted or when they got in those situational third downs, it just didn't work well or well enough. So I think for them, it's about the players they've brought in winning in that sense. And yeah, maybe the luck doesn't go your way as much, you know, this year as it did in 2022 in terms of those third down situations, but the same time you've upgraded your personnel and you specifically targeted guys where you're making it easier and easier on your quarterback. So I, I, you know, even if the luck doesn't go their way, like it did last year, I think they have the right personnel, you know? Um, and, And I feel like that was Mike Norvell's mission this, this past season. Whereas I think in, you know, this time last year, we were saying the mission for him was, getting receivers who can win one-on-one and then they were able to do that. You know, they found a few guys who they could consistently win a one-on-ones with. Now it's going to be about converting those, those hard situational opportunities and having the right possession receivers for it. So I think Jaheim Bell and Keon Coleman to me are the key for that. And of course, you know, Johnny Wilson progressing and Jordan Travis becoming better, but by upgrading the personnel around that, you're just going to make it really easier for, you know, this team that, got a little lucky last season. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to use the word luck, but I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. And especially if you're avoiding negative plays, if you're avoiding um, like the third and sixes, you're avoiding third and 11, you know, I, I think that's even in, you know, looking NFL wise, that's what separates the chiefs from everyone else. It's third and 11, third and 13. And you're still like, they're going to get it. If you can get to that point. Great. But you know, like you said, it, it becomes a one play sample size on third down. It, it becomes a very tight margin and it's not. It's it's very hard to replicate much like, you know, defense is very hard to replicate because it's as not very much you can do to control it. You're more having to more so react to the other side. John, I guess my fear there being is if you're not able to run the balls effectively, if teams are able to key on it. It's funny I use the word key on it because I was going to say you'd need someone like Keon who's been very efficient in the short windows and big windows to win in those small margins on a third and three if teams are not going to let you run the ball through it. Yeah, I mean, you could argue with with Jordan Travis, right, how stacked the receiver group is, which is wild to say after two years ago, where they're maybe the worst receiver group in in the ACC, if not the Power Five. Just, um, okay, unbelievable work there. I, just beyond words how much they flipped that room. Uh, but you're, look, you hope that this offense now is so loaded they can dictate to defense as well. You know, you pick your poison, right? You're going to cover Jaheim Bell, right? We're going to just spread you out, whatever. Uh, You do wonder if the offensive line could be the weakness here because everything else is so loaded, which is crazy. I, again, not saying that the, the offensive line is bad. We do expect this to be a top five offense in the country. Uh, and I've personally talked before about how, you know, I, I don't want to see this voice and offense lead the country in explosive plays. I, I want them to still be top five, top 10 and explosive. Uh, but I want them to, you know, to Ben's point, be more consistent convert all those things don't disappear for an entire quarter right and struggle to to do anything right leave your defense out to dry uh you know this this offense needs to be you know this this team needs to lean on this offense this offense needs to score you know when they say we went from uh, what was it you guys said 27 28 to 35 points a game last year they improved i want to see it's at 38 to 40 points a game this year right you score 40 points a game you're going to beat almost every single team except maybe one maybe two teams on on the schedule but you're right there with everybody so um you know to your question, Brian, you know, if, if say a defense keys on the running game, shuts them down, right? The thing with Jordan Travis that we saw a lot last year is they went four white anyway with Travis, right? It, again, I want to point in the distinction, you know, when Travis went down with an injury in the Louisville game, everyone was screaming ruins, you know, the whole season's done, all this other stuff. And, and yeah, you know, um, we did throw I, a party for Tate on this podcast. For <laughs> right. Okay, right. Well, he, you know, Tate comes in. They struggle for a couple of things that go to into halftime, thankfully escape, right. They come out 
and the offense looks totally different. And one of the changes they made instead of four or five wide with Jordan Travis, they went to what I call the spread eye with a lot of more pistol with, with Tate Rodemaker, right? A lot more uh, play action and that kind of stuff and changed the blocking angles and, and different things that they tried to do. And it worked And Rodemaker somehow played unconscious out of his mind. I don't know if, you know, the ghost of Fran Tarkenton came down, whatever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was it was incredible to see, but I, I don't want to overlook the schematic and you know strategic changes of the staff, what they were trying to do with him, right? They changed the base formations of the offense to fit Rodemaker. So uh, you know, if if they take something away, that's what I think is so exciting about this offense is they have everything else. On paper, there's no real weakness except for relatively this offensive line, right? They're still going to probably struggle a little bit with the absolute most elite defensive lines that they face on the schedule. Everyone else, they should be, you know, draw or better than, uh, but you know, if Clemson's defensive line reloads or, or you know, I, I know UF is struggling, but a few of those teams are NC state has had some pretty great defensive lines recently. You know, Pitt had two guys that were drafted, but you know what I'm saying is, is um, you know, wake force has given us issues, but, they should compete or be better than all, but the most elite defenses, uh, defensive lines that they face. And in terms of coverage, again, I think you put the onus or the pressure on Jordan Travis, right? Again, this offense was so explosive because they had to be, because they couldn't move the ball. You could almost see it too, right? They hit a big play and then you get the momentum. They just roll right in the end zone. But when they were struggling, they took a couple shot plays. They couldn't hit it. They just kind of just, there wasn't no, there was no momentum. They kind of died out. They struggled to get anything going. They did a couple three and outs in a row, things like that. So I want to see it from Jordan Travis. You don't have to do that. You don't have to throw 40 yard bombs every drive just to be able to score, right? You have so much talent now you can just, and it, another point I want to make is Jordan Travis. The game has obviously slowed down for him, right? To a lot of Ben's points game slowed down for him. So just breathe, right? Find Jaheim Bell, find Keon Coleman. If he's doing a, a, you know, a slant or some kind of levels play concept over the middle, move the chance, get it into third and two, right? Where those counters or smash or trap or wham or whatever you guys want to run will get you the first down. You don't have to throw 25 yards across the middle every time. It's great that Travis has improved on that, but you don't hopefully need to rely on him to be a superhero. You just need to rely on him to raise the floor of the offense of everyone around him. Yeah. And I think, Playing off, you know what what John's saying. I, I think it's it's just about making everything easier around Jordan, right? I think, but I I do want to go back and mention and kind of get back to Brian's main question, which is kind of what's the concern with all this? The concern for me is like what you said, John, the offensive line, and, and it's about making sure that they can hold that up throughout a whole season and be consistent enough, right? I I think what gives me confidence is that we've seen this this group in the last two years deal with all kinds of injuries along the offensive line and still be able to sustain their offense at a certain level. And, and I think with the personnel along the offensive line they have this year, um, I don't think the top end of it is the best it's ever been, but I think the depth across eight, nine, 10 guys is as good as it's ever been with Mike Norvell. So I, I think that definitely gives me confidence, um, you know, kind of like looking from what could go wrong if the offensive line doesn't work, it's just going to make everything else a lot harder. Um, but also, you know, talking about what you were kind of referring to at the end there, John, about their offense dictating what defenses do and how that really changed from 2021 to 2022. I think how that evolves this year is tight ends and, and using actual, you know, 12 personnel every once in a while, being able to use two tight ends, being able to, to dictate a little bit more of what the defense does and add a little bit more variety to what they already have in their bag. Right. So I think by adding Jaheim Bell, by adding uh, more lock, you know, you shot another club in your bag that they just didn't have last year in a reliable way. Right. You know, you could get away with doing some, some tight end stuff. Um, we saw them try and do some things against LSU, but when you're so limited by Cam McDonald, unfortunately, and, you know, not trying to bash him or anything, but it's, it's just the reality of, you know, where were they lacking last year? Where it was the group that was behind all the other groups, it was tight end. And now with that group being so much better with Jaheim Bell, with Morlock, with, with some of those younger guys, I think this is going to just add another bag where Norvell can dictate more of the offense towards opposing defenses and tailor the game plan a little more on a game to game basis. 
Right. Like there's no, there's no first round pick on this offensive line, but they're definitely going to have some kids drafted, I think in the, in the coming year. And you're going, like you said, from Cam McDonald, uh, why Rector is a great, he's a walk on, but he's a great, he was a great college player. Very fun to see a walk on contribute as much as why Rector did, but you're talking about a significant talent increase also at the, at the tight end position to your point. So yes, I mean, and, and look, I, I watch a lot of Norvell's offenses at Memphis. He utilized the tight end it was almost like the fulcrum of his entire offense, right? Again, we talked a lot about moving gaps and things like that. It wasn't just guards and tackles. It was that H back, the tight end, that kind of thing. He moved them around a lot. And I thought coming in, that was be the position he would recruit the fastest, you know, the most talented guy overall uh, as quick, you know, as quickly as possible. That didn't happen. Now we're talking about year four and he finally has that talent. So it took a little bit longer than I thought. I thought it would, but I'm very, very excited about what he'll do with that. One other thing too, that Ben, you mentioned this article about bell specifically is he's a tight end, but he, he played more at slot and at running back. Um, I feel like I'm playing right into your wheelhouse here as a Niners guy, but um, kind of the way that Kyle Shanahan uses his pieces there, where you don't know if McCaffrey's a slot receiver or a running back, you don't know where Kittle's going to line up. How does having a player who may be listed at tight end, but would occasionally pop up in the backfield. Oh, they looks like they're five wide, but no, that that's a, that's a back who's going to line up next to Travis. How do you think, do we see some of that? Do you think that unlocks things? How, how do you think that works out? Yeah, I think you see some of that, but you know, I don't even think it's necessarily as like an offensive weapon, whereas you, you, that's more what you see with the 49ers and kind of what you're referring to where they move around their weapons in different ways um, with bell specifically, I, I think from, you know, a base personnel set where they can line up in, in kind of your normal 12 personnel where, right. That's one running back, two tight ends. You have two tight ends bookends on the offensive line. Um, then you go ahead and you move Jaheim Bell to fullback or to H back or in the backfield, or maybe there's no one in the backfield and you move him back there. You know, it, it's kind of like, goes back to what I was saying before where Mike Norvell can dictate more because of that, you know, of course, with the receiving game that helps a lot, but then as you mentioned, Brian, where, you know, you can move Jaheim bell kind of all over the field, put him in, in four or five different positions. Um, they can line up in, in a way where Jaheim bell is the, the fullback or, or out wide as a tight end or in the slot or attach the line of scrimmage. And then they can move him and switch him around and dictate defenses in that way. Right. So I, I think it's, it's just that thing where it, it, you know, it, it's like taking away the queen on a chessboard um, for Mike Norvell. Like, like you guys mentioned in Memphis, that was so much of his bread and butter using the tight end. And he just didn't have that that chess piece before. Now you give him that chess piece and it's almost like half. Well, it's a new season, so it's maybe not halfway between the game, but it's almost like playing chess without the queen. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, here's this piece that you can use almost however you want in all this variety of ways it just unlocks so much more for you where you can really dictate what defenses do. And there are very few linebackers in college who are capable of covering at that type of level. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many of them are just downhill tacklers. Well, yeah. It, it, and when you brought up linebacker, I thought you were going to mention the DJ Lundy, you know, coming in and, and, <laughs> and being the goal to go specialist. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, you know, it, it just, especially for Mike Norvell, for him, it is so much about using, you know, what the defenses do, understanding what they do well and trying to get those linebackers, those safeties to second guess, to hesitate, um, to essentially, you know, you get one guy out of the rhythm of the defense, it's just going to blow open the entire play. So Jaheim Bell, you know, again, to get back to what I was saying before, it's just another club in the bag that you never had before. Yeah. And I want to point out, I mean, Norvell has a history of it's it's not just knowing like how to manipulate defense, but he knows what his own guys can do. Right. Uh, even going all the way back to Memphis, whether it was single back, split back, uh, um, pistol, whatever. He, he ran a ton of split back at Memphis, right? The quarterback in the middle, he had one running back to each side of him. Right. Uh, with so three guys in the backfield, he did that a lot with a receiver. Right. He's done a little bit of it at FSU. And we see Tofili too also get split out wide in the slot. So he's done a lot of that at FSU also, but he loves to do that. He loves to know the type of player that, that he has, right? And how to best put him on the field 
in order to succeed. And he loves to do that. He loves to move those skill guys around, whether it's tight ends, receivers, running backs, moving them all around, whether it's in the backfield, out on the slot, out wide, whatever it is, H-back. He loves to do that. Um, it's almost like a sadistic thing with him in terms of knowing how he's going to manipulate linebackers and, and safeties in the future. So in the, the uh, apex defender, you know, oftentimes the nickelback, you know, right out there, uh, he loves, loves to mess with the apex defender out there. So uh, yeah, Novell's uh, he's got to be giddy. I can't even imagine what he's got cooked up this year. Uh, very excited to see it. The one thing we've kind of danced around and, and not really gone in depth on was that was the way the field goal kicking kind of readjusted things. Um, we, we've touched on it a couple times, but I guess, I mean, we talked about before the podcast to steal John's line, uh, the, the NC state game specifically, right? You're, you're down two very late in that game. You're at the 20 something in, in 90% of football situations, you're just going to run that one out and kick a field goal uh, instead, they go four wide and try and throw one of those slot fades that ends up in a pop fly interception. Now, is it a, maybe a bad throw, I, bad decision? I don't know. But the fact that you had to even put the ball in that type of situation speaks to a pretty clear need for improvement. Let's just, it has to get better, presumably. Um, what what extra keys, sorry, it's it's firework season outside of my house right now. Um, how does that, I guess, reopen everything? It, you get more ability to say, you know what, in this scenario, I'm fine taking three where you don't have to really push it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think kind of just to, to backtrack a little, you said, hopefully it gets better. Um, it can't get worse really. Um, oh, I mean, they can miss all of them, I guess, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but in terms of, you know, kind of like putting things into perspective, I, I pulled this with, with you guys before I was starting or as we were starting with our pre-show conversations, they converted 60% of their field goal tries. That's 121st of 131 division one teams. That's not where you want to be. Is that bad? <laughs> it's his bottom, what bottom 10. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You're tied with Charlotte and FIU. Yeah. It, but but yeah. even like, like, you know, average team, like, like 70, 65, that's like 77, 78% conversion. Right. So it's not just like you were bad. It, 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 it's 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 just debilitating for their offense, and, and I think you saw it with the red zone opportunities, and that's like you know really what I dived into with the whole, the whole article that this all started with. Um, they were twelfth in terms of red zone opportunities created. They it wasn't that this team couldn't get into the red zone. It's that as, as you were kind of like alluding to Brian um, with all the issues that came up because of this field goal unit, they they just had to change how they approach the red zone. And if that, you know, kind of, we talked about luck earlier, especially in that third down, if, if luck swings back the other way and you're just an average fuel goal kicking unit where, you know, you have confidence where, you know, maybe you're not making 45 plus 50 plus yard field goals, but if you can know that you're going to nail those, those field goals inside of 40 yards, it is just going to change how defenses play against you, how you approach it. It's going to change everything about your red zone offense. Right. So um, I really harped on, on their efficiency. And, and we already mentioned some of the things that they can do, especially in the short yarded situations with the bigger receivers they have now, and, and that's all going to help. But if this field goal unit is similar to what they were last season, you know, course it's going to help that you have Jaheim Bell it's going to help that you have Keon Coleman but you know when when you get into these must have situations he's got to have it situations you're just going to struggle and I, I think right now in terms of the red zone you know offense we, we can see how some of those other pieces would work but they do not get this field goal unit right I don't know how you can have confidence that they'll close out those big conference championship games that we think they have the ability to potentially even winning a college football playoff game. If you, if you need a field goal in, you know, last 30 seconds of the game and it's within 40 yards, you know, like you mentioned, um, they, they went four wide when they couldn't, they, they, they have, they had all these different situations where, you know, towards the beginning of the season, a lot of fans were looking at some of the fourth downs they would go to on goal to go and say, Hey, you know, why are you even doing this? And then the more and more you get into the season, you realize, Oh, 
they don't have any confidence that their kicker can get this right, that he can make this happen and they shouldn't have. So um, even if this unit just reverts to average or slightly below that, you know, if they're like 70th, 75th, um, they don't need to be world beaters. They just need to be good enough that it doesn't affect their red zone offense in such a drastic way. And we talk about the idea, like when we think of field goal kicking, the glory always goes to making the, you're down by two. Now you win, you're you're down by one and then you win. I mean, but even something as important as going from a six point lead to a nine point lead, a seven point lead to a 10 point lead four to seven. I mean, that type of stuff is winning plays. If you're up by three, sure. Being up six, isn't exactly comfortable, but if the other guys can kick, you're forcing them to get in the end zone on you. And that is the margin for error on winning. I mean, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just ask the Minnesota Vikings, right? I mean, look at their history. You want to talk, <laughs> you want to talk, talk about field goals directly affecting whether or not your team wins in those got to have it situations. It, it, it's pretty straightforward. You, you just got to be able to get it right. <laughs> Well, look, in my opinion, you know what the, and I don't disagree with you guys. I, I want to, I want to be clear about that, but you know what wins in college football is winning touchdowns. by multiple touchdowns, it's scoring touchdowns, right? Making field goals be a non-factor, right? And I'm going to set that bar up there this year, right? I don't want them to have to be like, oh, you know, we have to kick this field goal. We have to have a reliable field goal kicker so that, you know, we can, I, I love going up by two scores. Don't get me wrong. I love doing that, but I think this offense has the talent and, and because we still expect the defense to lag a little bit, right? You know, they had a lot of guys come back like first and, and Fabian Lovin and, you know, the second year I get it, it's got, got a lot of talent. I'm still expecting that maybe like a floor of 20th or something like that. Maybe, you know, maybe if for some luck they break into the 15th, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Payton breaks out and that kind of thing. But I, I'm putting the season that we want this team to have on the offense. And I'm putting that on Mike Norvell. I want, I want you to go for the neck every time. Right. I don't care whether you're playing Duke or Wake Forest or Virginia or it's Clemson. Go for the neck, score touchdowns. Touchdowns are what win games. Field goals don't. They just don't. Right. You can see it too in the history of college football. The the teams, and it's it's the same way in the NFL. It really is. The best teams are the ones that win by multiple scores, right? And the ones that win by multiple scores are the ones that go for touchdowns. The Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago. By, I think it was Peter, was it Peterson as a head coach? Because they went for fourth downs more than anyone else, right? And they and did they this year more well. touchdowns. Coming up right. in the, yeah. Being aggressive. And I think the whole point of college is being more talented than your opponents. I think Florida state is more talented than all, but the, the most, the super teams, right? Georgia, Ohio state and Alabama, those teams have, you know, not double, but close to double the amount of blue chip talent that you have. But I think, you know, going back to the early beginnings of Tom Nation and Bud Elliott is he's shown that, you know, talent matters more to the defensive performance or projections than it does to offense. You can put together an elite offense with a less talented group overall, but this, this group is loaded, right? They are loaded. They're going to, I don't know how many first round picks are on the offense, but you're going to have quite a few draft picks from this, from this offense. It's not going to be the 2013 team. Right. But they're going to be do well for themselves, I think. And so to me, make the field goal obsolete. Right. Don't rely on them. Go for touchdown. Like that's to me the difference. Last year, they had to go on fourth down inside the red zone because they couldn't rely on the kicker. Right. I want them to go because they have the confidence that they know they're just going to stomp all over everybody. Right. And score touchdowns anyway. That's what I want to see from this offensive year. That's how I want Mike Norvell to call plays this year. I mean, and and then you use the kicker as a backup in case, yeah, maybe you just, you need to take it. It's light in the game, right? And you you need to score. But uh, that's the approach that I personally want to see. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, especially on the aggressiveness where it's not so much that you're aggressive because, you know, you need variance to go your way, but Mm -hmm. being aggressive because you have the confidence in your team in these situations where, you know, we're going to get it right more than often. And when we don't get it right, we're going to come back around and be aggressive again and then get it right. So, you know, I I think that's, I I definitely get where you're coming from with the field goal thing, but at the same time, you know, you can't 
be a bottom 10, bottom 20 unit in, in field goal rate. Oh, 100%. So yeah. Back to win those games. <laughs> well, and again, I go back to, I think that the Clemson game is the fulcrum of this whole season, right? You you need to beat Clemson. I'd love to beat LSU again. That would be fantastic. But you need to beat Clemson, right? Because you got to win the ACC, win, only lose one game tops, right? Maybe it's LSU to, to make the playoff, right? That That's your best path, I think, um, at worst. So uh, you got to beat Clemson. And what did we talk about before, right? How'd they lose the Clemson game? It was those eight minutes, right? Before and after halftime. They just like another, you know, Wake Forest, where they disappeared in the entire second quarter, but they disappeared in the uh, first and last, those last four minutes of each half of those the eight minutes total before and after halftime. Um, that's where FSU's offense just disappeared. I mean, I want to see them be aggressive, right? Go for the neck. Don't let up score those touchdowns and you're not wrong, but I a hundred percent agree with you. I really do. You have to have both. You got to be a complete team. I mean, it, going all the way back to, to Graham Gano, right? Beating Clemson. Uh, what was that? 55 yard field goal, whatever it was all the way back to uh, oh, Dustin Hopkins. I'm sorry. All the way to Graham Gano. And then, and all those other guys, uh, the Aguayo brothers, you, you got to have good kicking. That's it's, uh, it's almost like what did Bud say a long time ago? It's almost like having a great closer. Right in college football, right? You use the offense as your starting pitcher, but your closer would be the kicker. That's how I want this team to use that. And you're right, it's 100. It's absolutely important. It closes out games, uh, but I, you know, you don't need to close out the game if you're up by two touchdowns, right? Which is what they should have been. Brian and I talked about this before. It's what they should have been against LSU last year if they hadn't fumbled at the goal line. And I still don't have a problem with that play call, by the way. I know I'm digressing here. I don't have a problem with the pitch. That guy walks in. Uh, whatever, uh, whoever is a Trey or, or Ben uh, or um. What's his face? Uh, he walks in. <laughs> Treshawn was it Treshawn? Yeah, Treshawn. Sorry, Trayshawn. Yeah. yeah. He walks in. If he catches the pitch, he just took his eyes off the ball. But they use the pitch a lot. It's a heavy thing of Norval. Hundred percent the right call. They would have walked in one by two scores against LSU uh, in New Orleans, which has been unbelievable. So, yeah, they they also could have won by two scores if they'd have made two field goals. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah the, um, yeah, the other thing too, and to not just sit here and we could talk field goal kicking to the end to we're blue in the face. But I mean, you talk about that window where they stopped scoring. Uh, in that second quarter, they did have a, a fourth and two at the thirty-one. I mean, fourth and two is probably a spot where you maybe go for it anyway. But it's fourteen fourteen. You kick the field goal. It's seventeen fourteen, and and you know at least you're still scoring, right? And and Clemson kicked a. a a disgusting 11 play 18 yard drive to go up 34, 14 to end in a field goal. But you know, that's the difference between winning by three and winning by six, you know, I it's the tiny things. And and like you said, if this team is really going to contend, they have to be the offense that beats you down by touchdowns. But at the same point, it's, it's, you know, how you also don't stall out for quarters, which is, you know, the big concern we've, we've brought up a couple of times, just stalling out completely. I mean, regardless of the points, I think Ben, you lay out a really great case that this, this could and should be one of the best offenses in college football. Again, I think we heard that a lot from our guest in the last episode. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, I, I can't recommend it enough. He, he was very in depth by everyone. And if you couldn't tell, I am having a very hard time remembering his name off the top of my head, Ryan Fowler. I found it. Um, <laughs> You yeah, know, he was, I, he was great. He was great. And if you haven't gone back and listened to it, I recommend it. He he was he knew a lot of the guys very, very well and and could speak to what Keon Coleman does well, what he brings to the offense. And um, so if you're really looking at what's going on with this offense, check it out. Ben's article. Check this out. Uh, and now we'll go ahead and put the two of you under the microscope. You guys want to play rock, paper, scissors, flip a coin on who wants to go first. Uh, first to three wins. I think is the way to go with it. Rock, Ooh, paper, scissors, John said. I, I thought we were doing this together, but okay. okay. I guess we're, we're Oh, we got, well, I mean, you can't both guess at the same time. Well, I guess that's true. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you want to just go rock, paper, scissors? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Great audio. Shoot. We got two scissors. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. This is great audio. We got a paper for John. Paper over rock beats John. John gets to go first. All right, so I'm going to actually expand this. I said top five. I'm going to go top six. Ugh. And I apologize for that, but it's I think it's one, so it's even. Um, and it's only the guys who have rushed for over 100 yards on the 2013 team, six guys. Um, and I'll give you one hit. One of them only had three attempts. I apologize that I'm doing this from a war zone, apparently. This is it's 10 years old. Yeah, it's this 10 years old. There's a couple of layups years. here. You get the first guess, though, John. You get the I'm layups. old. Yeah, layups. okay, so 100 yards, like, on the whole season? Rushing the football, yes. Yeah, okay, so uh, Devontae Freeman? That's number one. Thank you very much. Okay. 1,016. The ball now turns back over to Ben. I'm 
I'm I'm trying to remember this team well, but I, I think I'm gonna go for the other obvious answer that my brain went to Jameis Winston number four 219 yards I'm sure the sacks probably brought him down there maybe a little bit but uh yes to your point probably another easy one this is where we might get a little difficult John you get to go next uh James Wilder Jr. James Wilder Jr. number three 81 carries 563 eight touchdowns as well so we go back to Ben again I think this is where it's getting tough we're we're guys with under 100 touch 100 carries Especially after this one, it gets real tough, I believe. Oof. Um, yeah, True fireworks happening during this display. It's great. I, I would, I would, <laughs> you know, I just don't know how much. I know there's another running back in there. I just don't know which one to pin it to. So, because I'm looking at the roster right now, just so, you know, I'm not cheating, but I'm looking at the players. He's on- looking at the names. Oh, I don't even have the names. That's it. Attaboy, John. Way to go. I'm looking at the names, to be fair, but that's so I can keep up the list. Yeah. I'm going to have a little fun with this one, even though I don't think it's necessarily right. Rashad Green, maybe. Rashad Green had one attempt for nine yards. <laughs> no, not going to make the list. John, you can, can go I ahead. Feel? You can pull ahead here. Yes. Uh, I have a couple options. You have three options per what's left on the board. Number two, number five, and number six. Uh, five and six. I'll five go and six with... have a combined 36 carries, so it's not like they have a lot. Uh, it's one Chad Abrams. Chad Abram had seven carries for 29 yards. So that's going to be a miss. We get to go back to Ben. <laughs> he had, he had the catch in the title game though. I'm not going to come on. <laughs> I, I'm going to go for, I went for Rashad green last time. I'm going to go for another green and Ryan green. Number five, 33 carries, 163 yards. So we are down to number two on the list with 91, 91 carries and 11 touchdowns on the ground. And number six, again, this one's kind of, uh, I feel like number six is probably evil. It's it's three carries for 110 yards. Can I look up the roster? I expanded it so it was a little more fair. Sure, I'll allow it, I guess. Don't look at the Because I'll stats. get this in a second. Oh, wow. I'll get it in a second, he says. But I don't want to look up stats. Hold on. i got to get the actual roster. Yeah, you got to yeah. get it without stats. It's okay. Well, this is called tap dancing for those I'm not going to. I'm not going to cheat. Here's Hold a hint for those get... of you at home still trying to figure it out. Um, not a quarterback left on the list. In case you're sitting there uh... going, yeah. in case you're going, it's a backup quarterback. No, no, it's not. What do you got, John? <sighs> Carlos Williams. Carlos Williams, number two, oh. 91. How carries. did I forget Carlos? He even ran Kermit into the end zone in the title game. Oh, my God. 730 yards, 11 touchdowns. <sighs> and, he had, and He had such a great season for the Bills, man. And then he showed up to camp like overweight and then and never saw him again. The the lone rusher over 100 yards is tough, but I'll let John have one more or Ben have one more guest to even out the rounds just in case. Again, this is three carries for 110. So, again, I believe it's evil. It, is this player a non-running back? A non-running back, yes. He, uh, to, to max it out, the efficiency here is pretty damn good. Uh, two touchdowns on three carries. Okay. I Again, uh, this is per sports reference. So, I, I, if someone's on the computer right now screaming at it that I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> take it up with the internet, bro. I wasn't there. Oh, I'm just going off names at this point that I'm seeing on the list. Um, Kenny Shaw. Kenny Shaw did not even have a carry, but good guess. I'll give you another hint for those of you at home. It's not Kelvin Benjamin, neither a carry there either. All right. So both of you get it here. Uh, Either one of you first want to yell it out. I'll I'll give it to you. Like I said, three carries, two touchdowns, 110 yards, over 35 yards a carry. Uh, a freshman? Does that help at all? So yeah, uh, it was. Was Wilson. it Dalvin? Oh no, no, Dalvin's uh, not on that team. But uh, oh, that's right, he came after the year. Yeah, after. yeah, Jesus. I thought maybe it was Dalvin. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. He says Thank it wasn't Christian that. Green on a screen pass or something. No, but it is a receiver. Um, let me see. I'm trying to get the college stats here. I'm trying to scroll. Did you hear me say, say uh, Jesus Wilson or Jesus Wilson? I did not, but it's not my not the answer I have in front of me. Okay. Um, oh my god! Best season for this player, 2015. Again, this is very evil. Junior year, 2015, 57 receptions, six touchdowns. Herman Lee, the track player, track track guy. It looks like per his bio, which has apparently disappeared from the website. 
Oh, it's, it's not Kermit, is it? It is Kermit Whitfield. <laughs> yes, Kermit Whitfield with a very I'm efficient, embarrassed, a very very efficient uh, three carries for two touchdowns. Yeah, obviously I should have known when you said efficient. Uh, you know, find, get your speedsters in space, man. Kickoff returns here as a, you know, I, I tried to Google some of the touchdowns to see if I could help out fill the space, but yeah. So your top six, some six up to one Kermit Whitfield, three carries 110, two touchdowns. Obviously, like I said, very tough, very, very tough. Only three carries Ryan green, 33 carries Jameis, 88 James Wilder, Jr. Carlos Williams. And then of course, Devonta Freeman. It was fun. I'm glad Did you guys have fun. Was it stressful? Was it stressful to be put on a spot like that? Of course it was. Yeah, you're the worst. I Thank hate you. you. Yeah, we'll get excited. We're <laughs> going to start doing receivers or something next time. So have fun with that. Actually, you know what? Scrimmage yards might have been a fun place to start. But yeah. we'll, we'll try that next time. Who knows? I will say receivers would be way easier. You know, it's 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 not as, you know, it's not like it's not like Florida State's been known for the receivers in the last decade. So I, I think it's a little easier to narrow that down. The problem you know, the the problem with he, running back is anyone can just take a direct snap. <laughs> right. Well, and even a screen pass for a receiver, I mean, it's behind the line. You could you could call that a, a running game. You know, sure. it reminded me of one player was uh, Marvin Bracey, man. He was gonna he was gonna do so many good things in football. He's just too good at track. Ended up going, I think, to the Olympics or the you know World Championships. He did pretty well. So, uh, but we never really got to see him on on the field. Well, there you go. We'll continue doing some trivia next time. <laughs> we'll come at you. I got to figure out uh, maybe when that is. So apologies on that one, but it'll be our, our defensive preview. Look for Ben. You're putting out the article on that coming up soon here. Again, yeah, definitely. I apologize. I'm coming in from a war zone. I don't know. You better. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll uh, I'm getting uh, started on that right now. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely have a pod, you know, going over all that too, because, you know, um, I, I know we talked about this a little bit pre pod pod, but uh, the offense it's definitely straightforward in terms of what worked, what didn't work defense, uh, not, not so much of a straightforward story with them. So it's going to be I think, more interesting to, you know, dive into what they're going to be doing this upcoming year. Yeah. It should be interesting to see what we come up with, what, what, uh, what worked, what didn't will certainly be interesting. Uh, I know we it seemed like pod to pod. John had a different idea of what was going on there and, and, you know, obviously the offense was enough to make it work. But until we come at you then, uh, for Brian, John, Ben, uh, that's a wrap. See you for that next episode. Thanks for listening. Oh.